been spending a lot of time studying the casting out of demons recently, as you might have been able to tell from other podcasts that I've been doing. <clears throat> but uh, earlier today, I'd just finished working, doing a um, couple of lawns and um, doing some tree trimming with my housemate, Mark Sheck. And we pulled into the driveway. I pulled into the driveway um, just after we'd finished working. And we're just sitting in the car, and there were no tools in the car or anything like that. There was nothing to unload, nothing else to do. And we're just sitting there, and I just look at him and say, Karong? Karong is the name of the um, local Christian bookstore, the, um, the Brisbane uh, bookstore that sells you know Christian books and Christian resources and such. Um, and I just asked him if he wanted to go there, basically. Just a single word, just said Karong implying or asking him if he wanted to go and I kid you not the second that I said the word Karong to Mark my phone vibrated in my pocket so I pull it out and I go on a gmail and my lawn care business has just received a work request um, through my website Kingdom Lawn Care it has just received a, uh, a work request from someone who wanted their hedge trimmed on Kurong Street. Now, Kurong, the bookstore is not on Kurong Street. It is, uh, you know, it's like 40 minutes away in Wollongabber on Broadway Street. But what are the chances of that, right? Saying Kurong, asking him if he wants to go to Kurong, and the second that I say that, receiving a work order through an email from someone living on a street called Kurong Street. I didn't even know there was such thing as Kurong Street. I don't even know what the word means. I didn't realize it was even a word that it was in that is in use. I um I, I googled it and apparently it's some Aboriginal Australian word. I still don't know what it means, but it is a um of Australian origin it seems, which I guess is why um the Australian Christian bookstore uses it. But Anyway, I took that as a sign from God that I needed to go there. And I've been meaning to go to Karong for the last, you know, little while, at least the last few days. It's been on my mind regularly. And now I see that that was God um, telling me to go to Karong. I can see that very clearly through um, that uh, God intervention, you know. So, um, yeah, Mark, I didn't go with Mark. I ended up going with my wife after I picked her up from work. It's like an hour and a half round trip. I had to drive through all of the city peak hour just to get there, but I felt from the Lord that we needed to go. And anyway, went there and I bought four books, four different books on deliverance, on casting out demons. And even as I was going there, I just felt like I, I didn't want to go, you know? Like I've just read so many Christian books in my life that haven't been all that helpful. And every time I just return to the Bible, you know, I go back to the Bible because that's the book that helps. And I have read, even this year, maybe 20 to 30 um, Christian books. Um, and, you know, most of them are all right. The uh, most recent one by Catherine Renala was amazing. And uh, the other one that I liked this year that I read was the one by A.W. Tozer, The Pursuit of God. That is an amazing book. But anyway, you know, that's 10% of the books that I've read, if not less. 
less than 10% of the books that I read that I find to be truly impactful. So the idea of going and buying more books isn't necessarily necessarily the thing I want to just jump at and do. But I strongly feel the study deliverance in this season. I have seen myself come under incredible demonic attack as we have increased our pursuit of the glory of God in our lives. And as we increase the diligence in our prayer and in our fasting and in our undertaking of the word of God and fighting the good fight, the resistance is strong. And I want to be well equipped to know how to overcome that in Jesus' name. And one point that stood out from this book, I realized I'm almost five minutes into this podcast. Hopefully the stories have been entertaining enough. But this one point that I wanted to bring up from the book that I've um, been reading by, I think it's R.A. Schneider. That might not be the exact initials, but he's a uh, Messianic rabbi who teaches on self-deliverance. The book is called Self-Deliverance. And the major point that I'm getting out of this book so far, and this is something that we are not taught, is that if you are more persistent than the demon that is plaguing you, you will win every time in Jesus' name. He um, shares this story, or this dream that he had, actually. I'll uh, tell it really quickly. He, um, the dream was very simple. There were two houses side by side. One was a dilapidated shack of a house falling apart, and the other one was a grandiose mansion. Both of them were owned by him, yet he chose to live in the shack. And in the dream, he kind of came to the, uh, the realization, you know, asked himself, why aren't I living in the mansion? Why am I living in this uh, fallen down shack? And he looked over and he sees all these people roaming around in the mansion and realized that they were demons, you know, in the form of people, but they were demons. So the reason he wasn't living in the mansion and in his inheritance, so to speak, was because there were demons occupying his house. And so he felt the Lord tell him to go and get the demons out. So he went to the house, went to the door, waited for the chief demon to come down. And as soon as the chief demon came to the door, he grabbed the demon by the collar of the shirt, threw him to the ground and started punching him in the face over and over and over and over. And he said that as he was punching the demon, the demon showed absolutely no response, no pain, um, you know, just totally unaffected. Like he's punching him in the face and it's like nothing's happening, right? But he didn't care. He just went wild. He went aggressive at this, at this chief demon and just kept hitting him in the face over and over, despite the fact that he wasn't seemingly reacting in any way. And he said as he was punching him, suddenly the demon popped be kind of like deflated and then they all disappeared and he draws a number of applications from that dream obviously you can uh, kind of imagine the spiritual applications and implications that come from a dream like that from God but the one that hit me the hardest was the reality that as we speak to demons and command them to leave our lives oftentimes we don't see any immediate response and it almost seems like nothing is happening to the demon. Yet, in a moment, if we last longer than, than the demon, if we don't fall for the deception that it's not affecting them, that they will bow to the name of Jesus and the authority we have in his name and the power that we have in his name every time. If we don't relent, we will win every time. And a lot of his book is about you know, how we... Uh, come to get these kind of oppressions, how attacks can happen, how we deal with the attacks and such. 
But if we don't give up in commanding the devil to leave, he will leave every time in Jesus' name. And if we give up, then he will stay and he will win. But it really is a matter of just resolving in our hearts never to give up. Resolving in our hearts to be aggressive in, in defending the integrity of, of freedom and, and righteousness in the gospel. Any kind of oppression that is on your life or on the lives of those around you, if you speak to it, if, you know, if you're doing a deliverance with a person, if you are speaking to the oppression on their life and there doesn't seem to be an immediate change, do not back down in Jesus' name by any means. Do not fall for the idea that the demon is not being affected because it is. My gosh, how energizing is that reality? When I, uh, when I meditate on that, when I think about that, I just get, I get giddy, man. It is just so exciting to me that you know, all the authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus and we have his name to use to cast out demons. And he says, <laughs> I guess he says in Luke 10 not to rejoice in that, right? But to rejoice that our names are written in the book of life. But anyway, it is an extremely exciting reality. And uh, I guess another thing that I've been thinking about when it comes to dealing with oppression is the idea of curses. And I don't really know where I stand with generational curses, so to speak, because people always quote those verses in Exodus and I think there's one in Leviticus too, um, the end of Leviticus, where he says that the sins of the fathers will fall to the fourth and the third and fourth generations, right? The, uh, the generational curse, so to speak. That's where it's derived from. However, there is a passage in, right about Ezekiel 19 or Ezekiel 20, maybe um, a chapter above or below, below that, where it says that no longer shall you say that the sins of the fathers fall upon the children. It's, like, it's actually a statement of the Lord where he revokes the generational curse. And uh, it's no longer a thing that affects followers of Yahweh. The generational curse is no longer in existence or, or upheld by God. And that is pre-Jesus. That's, you know, 400, 500 years before Jesus even came in the book of Ezekiel there. And so I don't, because of that, I don't really know where I stand with actual generational curses. Maybe there's demons that can follow people down a generational line. That kind of makes sense to me, but I wouldn't call it a curse a generational curse, so to speak, because we can't really be held responsible for the sins of our ancestors anymore by an old covenant scripture. But if there's a demon that's been harassing a family line, I don't really see why, you know, everyone in that line wouldn't be able to submit to that demonic oppression somehow and give it, you know, right of way to continue to move in their life too. I... I see that as a very real possibility. So in that sense, I think generational issues can be can exist. But I would steer away from calling it a generational curse, so to speak, because terminology is important. Terminology shapes worldview, and worldview shapes the way you view the world. So it's quite important, yeah? But what I was wanting to get at is the idea that everyone always quotes that part in Galatians where it says that Christ has become a curse for us. And often that's done in the context of generational curses. And I think that that's a good thing. 
because we are of a different bloodline. We don't receive the generational curses, you know, things carried in the blood from the father to the son or from the mother to the daughter or uh, any combination of those, right? Those, we have a different bloodline, so that makes sense. But I do kind of notice that we kind of take it to the extreme and we say that because Christ has become a curse for us, it is no longer something that we need to deal with in the lives of, of people and of individuals. And in an ideal world where everyone believes the fullness of the gospel, that would be true because he has become a curse for us. But in the same manner, by his stripes, we are all healed as well, physically healed. By his stripes, we were healed. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says that. Yet, evidently, not every Christian is walking around in full physical health. And that's not to say that it's not by his stripes we all were healed. It's just that as long as we are holding a lack of understanding in the atonement and in the healing work of Christ, we'll never receive the fullness of his healing, right? If we believe the gospel of healing, we will be healed. If we believe the gospel of righteousness, we will be righteous. So why do we not kind of deal with the issue of curses in people's lives? Because if people get a cold, I don't want to like sound like one of these dudes that say, you know, you don't have enough faith, blah, blah, blah. It's not necessarily about that. It could just be you're believing some kind of tradition which is stopping you from receiving the fullness of that for which Christ died. But Christ would have never had a cold. So if you have a cold, you aren't living in the fullness of what Christ has offered you. Yet we never deal with curses in people's lives as possible causes for things, or, or we rarely do anyway. I mean, how often have you ever heard someone say, oh, maybe that's in your life because of a curse that has been spoken over you or whatever? I guess in the West, it might not necessarily be the thing that's in the forefront of our minds, where uh, we don't really have people that are conspicuously involved in in active witchcraft and curses and such but there are curses that can be spoken into our lives by you know parental figures and all those kind of things which can really bind people it's not just wrong ways of thinking it's an actual curse it is a it is a power that has been released over people's lives that needs to be dealt with by faith in the reality that Jesus has become a curse for us and until our Christianity comes to the place where we can bring a person into the gospel and have them fully delivered, fully healed, fully set free of curses, 100% every person, which is really not the case right now, even though it should be, we do need to be you know, assessing the problems that are arising in people's lives and, and actively determining, you know, is this a, the result of a curse that has been placed over these people's lives by, by anyone or anything? All of these things are worth considering. In the name of Jesus, let's go to Karong, mates. Let's go to Karong.